Hey Josh, I know you're keeping tabs on the calendar. You know Valentine's Day is right around the corner. You're a pretty romantic guy. How did your proposal go? Well, good news uh, and bad news. Bad news is I haven't proposed yet. Huh. But the good news is she did say yes, we are moving in together. What do you mean? Well, we figured we would like, you know, kind of test drive the car before we buy it. It's a good idea to see if we can like make our relationship work before we take that next step of marriage. Huh. I wonder, do you think that there are real life or practical reasons why maybe even Christians could move together before they marry? Oh, I just assumed it was all about the money. Is there like disagreement about this in the Christian community? Oh, we should definitely talk about this. Okay, sounds good. Welcome everybody to today's episode on Kingdom Thinking. Today we're going to jump into the topic of cohabitating or living together versus marriage. So Josh, let me share a little bit of background for this. Okay. Different studies in the social sciences, that is sociology, anthropology, and psychology have shown that among the younger generations over the last few decades, maybe the 30 to 40 years, the amount of marriages have has continuously gone down. So there seems to be a proportional or a continual decrease mm -hmm. in people who are getting married, and there seems to be a proportional increase in people who are moving in together. Also, uh, there seems to be an increase in people who are married who formerly have lived with somebody else. Right. So this is a really interesting social trend because it not only brings up the ethical or the moral question as well as the real-life practical question, but it also... I think is an important topic for pastors to be able to think about Certainly. and to jump in for how we do ministry with young adults. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So from the, there's an article here written by Alice Walton. Uh, she wrote for the Atlantic magazine, highlighting some of her observations for why people are choosing to cohabitate okay. rather than marry. And so she points out the following. Uh, first, cohabitation is socially acceptable as marriage is now, right? And so as things shift from generation to generation, what was not acceptable for one generation typically becomes acceptable for another, right? Yep. Like rock and roll? Uh, yep, rock and roll, uh, even like things like drinking, social drinking, yep. uh, you know, marijuana, whatever, right? Whatever right. that is, good or bad. And so, and then on top of that, people are, uh, she says, people are not always afraid of the commitment to marriage. Rather, they are afraid of the fallout from divorce. Okay, so that's interesting. Let me stop you there real quick. I think it's very easy to assume the worst in this conversation. Yep. So I want to be clear that we want to give people the benefit of the doubt. In other words, we are not talking about people who intentionally want to uh, be promiscuous or intentionally want to test drive, right, different mm -hmm. partners and avoid responsibility. Right. If we give the benefit of the doubt to people who are looking to be responsible and take a commitment to form a family, perhaps, and still have reasons not to marry, these are the the, the reasons why they yeah, do that. Yeah, That's sure. interesting to me. For sure. So why are people not afraid of commitment, but they're afraid of something else, the fallout? What's that? Yeah, so we have financial reasons, right? So just the cost of debt. So yeah. student loan debt, yeah. taking care of rent, taking right. care of groceries, especially if you live anywhere in the California oh, area, man. right? Like just rent gets right. expensive. Okay. Wages are stagnant. Uh, and then there's tax implications. There's lawyers, divorce, all of these things. Yes. Uh, it's difficult, right? And then emotionally, uh, another reason she gives is that it seems that divorce leaves a different scar than a breakup with a partner, hmm. right? And, and so it, uh, and this is correctly calibrated in terms of the people's minds who are thinking about this kind of stuff. Like when you get a divorce, it is harder emotionally because than just breaking up because hmm. of everything that went into the marriage, Correct. the wedding, the counseling, the connections, Correct. the people, your family, your friends, right? There's a, there's an 
added extra element of embarrassment mm. that may not be there in, in a breakup conversation. Right. So is it worth the risk? Right. Precisely. If you can perhaps still have the same benefits. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and so we see middle class folks in general and women in particular often have to pay the heavier load for divorce in some ways since it can typically be easier for a male mm. to walk out on a family That's interesting. than for a female. Okay. Uh, some more uh, people are skeptical of the value of marriage based on the experience with their parents, peers, or church authorities. And this is one that probably holds mm. the most weight to me anecdotally. Mm-hmm. There uh, a lot of people I've heard who have done this, like, I had a terrible example of marriage. Or, you know, marriage between my mom and dad was so bad that I don't want to get mm. married. So exactly. they are just as serious about their commitment to their partner. Yeah. But the, the idea of the marriage feels like it locks in whatever negative Correct. expectation they it's had or experience they poisoned absorbed. Poisoned tainted. Yeah. Good. Uh, various pop culture icons, right? J-Lo, Kim K, Brad Pitt, they represent a less than ideal marriage, you know, divorce, remarriage model for young people who do not necessarily wish hmm. to go through that, okay. right? So that, that seems like a positive thing, right? Like, I don't want a just fantasy idea right. of marriage. I want something serious. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then we've got uh, the media suspect betrayal, uh, that one of two marriages is destined to fail both among religious and non-religious circles, right? And this kind of poisons the well, or huh. it kind of creates a negative bias among younger people uh, that, True. because that risk is so high, particularly when you look at the cost of the you know average American wedding being in the tens oh, of thousands man. of dollars there. Right. Somebody has to pay for that. Correct. Is uh, that and, worth it? And then the last thing she cites is cohabitation is more attractive to younger generations who have a broader view on gender roles in comparison to the more traditional This one's interesting roles. to me. Yeah, this places the uh, less of a financial burden to provide solely on the man, and it possibly kind of takes away the expectation for the woman to be a stay-at-home mom without a career. Yeah, correct. So in, in previous generations, it might have been more the case that the default understanding of gender roles was mm-hmm. that the marriage would be conducive towards the man being the financial provider right, and the woman would be the stay-at-home right caregiver nurture right and so with gender roles evolving or changing for different reasons men and women are getting college degrees and Mm -hmm. uh exercising professions it's really interesting now to think about how people might view hey do i have to forfeit something Mm -hmm. to get married where i maybe don't have to forfeit my career if i'm a woman well and the other thing that's blossomed recently you know in the past couple decades is like women are outperforming men on the collegiate level, mm. right? Like they're making, you know, single women, single men, single women tend to make on average equal to or more than single men in any, almost any given that's, field that that's they go incredible. into, right? And so there's this newfound freedom. Correct. It's kind of, you know, it means probably a good long time coming in, in, in many ways. For sure, for sure. So the, the concern seems to be here from this position of pro-cohabitation or the benefits of moving in together that it's you're risking less and still gaining the same benefits. Mm-hmm. So let's mm-hmm. talk about that for a second. On sure. the one hand, the practical real life issues that are being addressed here. On the other hand, what are some of the limitations or some of the things that you're giving up from a ethical or biblical perspective? Yeah. So to me, from the Christian perspective, right, this feels like a distinction without a difference. Okay. Uh, and so the idea here, when particularly when she says people are not always afraid of the commitment to marriage, but rather they're afraid of the fallout from divorce. Like if you get just as intertwined with somebody for six or seven years to the point mm. where you're just uh, what's there is an actual legal term for people who just live together long enough, right? Is is that and, right? And, yeah, and, and so it's like it's the same idea in the eyes of the law, uh, in, in that kind of world, and so it's like that fallout's going to be as heavy, hmm. right? It's going to be as painful if because there's, if again, there's kids, it's going to be just yeah, as messy. Yeah, and, and the same conversation goes like, well, I don't need a piece of paper to tell me I'm married, right? I'm yeah. just as committed to my spouse. So if you think it's the same thing in terms of the emotional connection and the intimacy and you know all of the things that you're garnering around there then the fallouts should be the same mm. too. It doesn't automatically change Correct. or it doesn't, mm. it, that's a, it's weird that 
the former is the same, but the latter is different. That's, there, that's right? a good point. It's a that's distinction that doesn't really exist that's, in the scale. That's, that's compelling. I, I totally agree with that. I also think the idea of family forming <clears throat> as basic units of society mm -hmm. is clearly fundamental, right? Yeah, to how, sure. how cultures work, societies, et cetera. So the idea that um, something like family forming could be something that's just in my heart. Mm -hmm. We don't need an infrastructure for it anymore. Right. Um, I'm not a sociologist. I'm not trained in that field. But it seems to me that the less infrastructure there is for these stability building blocks for society, the more vulnerable uh, a society is to um, different ailments. Yeah. Um, what about kids, right? So, like, we don't get to say that with kids. Yeah, precisely. So, if, if you have a partner and you have a child, are you saying, well... I'm kind of your dad biologically, but I'm not ready to uh, make a covenant with you as a forever family. Sure. Like, it doesn't work that way, right? right we right, understand right. that. Yeah. So why should it be different with the spouse? Yeah. Um, now, what are some of the, to be fair, what are some of the practical reasons that perhaps our viewers or anybody who is um, compelled by a, a faith background, even people of faith would say, you know what, but but here are some good reasons why I might consider it. Yeah, I mean, finances are probably the biggest single mover in that direction okay. from what I've heard uh, okay. and from people I've talked to and from the studies I've seen and read. It's just yeah. like, look, you know, sometimes you're, for your partner to get a degree, they have to spend upwards of anywhere from 30 to 100K yeah. in student loan debt. Yeah. And that might not be something that you feel compelled to, to take your, on. your social security yeah. number on. Right, precisely. Uh, and that can be... You know, that can have real world ramifications that follow you true. for 10, 15, 20 plus years, yes. right? In, in, yeah. in that kind of conversation. So that tends to be the biggest one. Okay. The other one uh, is the uh, kind of the emotional scarring that people inherit, right? Mm. From the examples that are set before them. Yeah. Uh, though I would push back on this one pretty hard. It's like, the yes, the reality is you can't choose or control what happens to you, but you can and do control how you heal mm. from it. And at a certain point when you enter into adulthood, you have to take the responsibility to participate in the healing. Like yeah. there, there's just, you know, it is awful. It is terrible. And we have to be able to move forward. It's like, uh, otherwise you're just going to continue to repeat those Harbor cycles that. of, yeah. And yeah. just repeat those cycles of abuse and brokenness. Good. There. Good. So, uh, so that, I mean, I get that one on a sympathetic level okay. or an empathetic level, but I, I'm a little bit hard on that one. So those okay. tend to be the big That's two fair. That's that, fair. I, that I hear the most. I also want to tip the hat to the logic that, if I ease my way into it or if I go in baby steps, it seems that the next progression from dating to serious dating would be to move in mm -hmm. to then to marriage. Mm -hmm. Like there there does seem to be some compelling logic to that if you think about it that way. Um, so I want to tip the hat to that, that logic and say like, I get why people think that way. Sure. I do get that. Sure. Um, I think my concern or fear is that that's predicated upon a consumeristic cycle yeah. of thinking, right? So like, what do we test? We test things. Mm -hmm. We test cars. We throw away disposable plates um, and we recycle things. Yeah. But humans are inherently different. So uh, I, I want to hang on to the idea that human dignity and human value can be always celebrated. Yeah, for, for sure. For both men and women, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. And that marriage can be one of those things that people recognize as the the ratification mm -hmm. of that covenant and it, it's not just a government thing right like even if you're not a faith it's interesting that non-religious and secular governments also recognize the validity of this union as unique yeah like the government sure. doesn't care who your golf coach is right right <laughs> um, i wish they did 
but the government recognizes who the spouse is. Yeah, like, for sure. That, that is fascinating to me. Well, at and least... this also carries a component with it about the idea of like being sexually intimate with Correct. each other as well. Correct. And this, and to me, right, I think this would be one of the biggest cures of like the way that men tend to have a propensity to yes. treat women so poorly is like yes. if we curbed this language entirely and sought out relationship as like commitment. And if we really took seriously the idea of like, what would it be like to wait until we had our marriage solidified before God to have sex with each other? Like even the abstinence conversation. It would be wild, right? It would yeah. be a wildly different society if we took that seriously, just even within the church, right? I'm not even talking Correct. about without, outside of the church. Just from a faith perspective. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so it's like, so those things would, I genuinely believe, are the cure for so many ailments. Mm. Now, this doesn't mean just get married to have sex, right? Like there's right. a there's a difference in understanding yeah. here, there, but it's like those things can be so powerful when they're exercised in the way that you know, I, I think God intended them to be, yeah. you know, ex- now it doesn't mean you can't make a mistake and God can't re- restore and respect those things True. Uh, there. And so, but the idea of like, well, it's the consumer base plus the intimacy before you're entitled to it. Base, right. right. And I think though, that you make the responsibility, well, dude, and that, that entitlement thing, you know, that I talked to with young men a lot is just like, it's so poisonous. Right. And it's I a, want it so I should have it. Yeah. And it's a terribly shaky foundation upon which to build even a, a Christian family. commitment there. For you're sure. just like, oh man, you're just in big trouble. Right. So that's interesting. So it, it almost reflects how you view God. I yeah, I mean I, I do. I think that very much. That's so. that's really interesting. Yeah. Now we didn't tap too much into into like the sexual intimacy part of it, but um I think there are also interesting studies that show how um sex for sex sake. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It, it's totally destructive. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like absolutely. It leads to depression. No, for sure. Um, and so, so at least I would say, from a faith perspective, these are seem to be consistent and coherent indicators mm-hmm. of the the safety and the flourishing that is matching commitment and responsibility with privilege. Right, right. So that's interesting to me. Now, I do want to say this. I have two thoughts as we transition to the second point. On the one hand. To celebrate this beauty, I, I want to recall for a minute an interview I saw once with N.T. Wright, New mm-hmm. Testament scholar, who was asked about this. Um, and the, the nature of the way he was at the interview, he was asked, like, why are Christians so staunch on this backwards view of marriage? Mm. Um, and the context of this, I think it was a, something like, uh, why not gay marriage? But the... The, the general sense of it was like, why marriage at all? Sure. And so N.T. Wright's response, I think, was very helpful where he said, you know, if you want to reduce marriage, the, this idea of marriage to its nuts and bolts uh, socially or financially or psychologically, then you've, you've already yeah. uh, cheapened it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because from the faith perspective, marriage isn't about those things at all, although it leads to ramifications of that. Marriage is about the reflection of God's union to his people. Yeah. That begins in Genesis with his self-giving of creation and ends in Revelation with the union of heavens and earth. So tracing the narrative of scripture of God's pursuit to unify his people to himself through covenant, then that phenomenon in, in humanity is no less than that God uh, ingratiated um gift right and and i think that changes everything yeah it changes how you view sex it changes how you view all the way uh, because it, sex becomes an act of worship at that correct point exactly yeah so I that's, mean, it's huge so that i, I want to end that on that point the other thing i want to say though is i do think that if it is true that this social trend is 
refusing marriage for the sake of, um, you know, practical reasons. I also want to admit that since the Reformation, the church has emphasized marriage to some detriments. Yeah, for sure. So I think we have to be honest and say that domestic abuse or even just think about like American culture in the 1940s and 50s and spousal abuse, right? How that was almost part and parcel of something. Well, that just happens. I mean, the idea that like a female couldn't open a checking account without her husband. Right. There's so so many things until the 60s. Yeah. Okay. Or or voting, right? Women's suffrage. Um, I think there's different ways where we could point out that. Sure, sure. Oh, man, the the overemphasis on you have to get married, you have to get married can do some harm. Yeah, for sure. So I want to spend some time talking about this interesting book that I read. Uh, there's a sociologist by the name of Robert Wuthnow at Princeton University. He wrote this book called um, How How the 20 and 30-somethings are Shaping American Religion. This book traces the, the social trend of the younger generations and how it is becoming more dissonant right. with their religious backgrounds. Mm-hmm. So here's some things that he points out. He says, check this out, guys. 20 and 30-somethings, guess what? They're becoming independent of their families, their parents, later in life, okay? For this reason, 20 and 30-something-year-olds are becoming financially stable later in life. So you could throw things in there like student loans, Mm -hmm. uh, college, school, prioritizing of education. Yeah. Right? So if you prioritize education over family, well, yeah, that's the natural result. Yeah, of course. You're going to spend 10 years in college and owe 100 grand. Okay, so this is interesting. Done that, that, been there. Right? Um, So the 20 and 30-something-year-olds, guess what? They're marrying less. Right. They're also marrying later in life. Yeah, of course. And they're having less kids. Now, this this all, uh, this sociologist points out, is going against the grain of evangelical churches, which is fascinating to me. Because, like, think about this for a second. Do you have men's group in in your church? Uh, Not officially, but we have, like, men's groups that meet. Yeah. Um, I would guess, and I don't know that much about your church, that these men's groups are geared towards married men. Is yeah, that fair? It, it, it splits. So, yeah, 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 for the, mo- for the most part, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I know at my church for sure. Mm-hmm. The men's group is almost primarily and almost 100% designed the curriculum, the activities for married men, mm-hmm. like how to be a better husband, mm-hmm. how to be a better dad. Interesting. Uh, the women's groups at my church are specifically designed yeah. to focus around motherhood, being a wife, etc. And then how do we do children's ministry? I, so I was a high school pastor for five years. This is what I observed. You have the elementary school kids, okay? Then they transition to middle school, and like Awana or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then everybody has a high school group, mm-hmm. right? And it's, it's a zoo, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you have a college group. But then what happens? It kind of morphs into like this amoeba-like thing that's not really ever clearly defined exactly. or well-maintained. Because you can call it young adults group, yeah. but then, like, you're going to be weird if you're 35 yeah. and go in a young adults group. You can, like, you can call it whatever you want, but the, the idea is that the more specific and concrete we get with age-based ministry, the more we're actually separating the young adults in our churches. Yeah, so, so what we've seen historically, right, the trend is, like, you have— you know, birth to fifth grade or sixth mm-hmm. grade, and then you have sixth or seventh grade to twelfth grade, 
And then you have like this weird 18 to 29 year old range. And right. there's kind of this assumption that you're married 27, exactly. 28, 29, and you have kids and you transition out of that group. And then you go into a young marriage group. Exactly. And then when you like can't stand about being in a Bible study with your wife anymore, you guys separate and go to like <laughs> male, female That's groups exactly to right. learn to be better spouses. And then you come back together in your forties and you have this roaring time. And then you just repopulate exactly. the children's ministry. And again. Sunday sermons are, pri- at least in my experience, are primarily the applications uh-huh. and the illustrations are based about family life. Yeah, how to be a better dad, better exactly. family, funny anecdotes so, you got into your spouse that So week. What, is, what is implicitly being continuously denied here? Yeah, singlehood. Singlehood. Yeah, absolutely. Which is fascinating because if we want to say, hey, for these reasons, cohabitation probably isn't your best bet if, if, you, if you're like a person of faith. Mm-hmm. Well, we are emphasizing marriage for the wrong reasons. Right. We are emphasizing marriage as a solution for something like loneliness, right? Yeah. Or, or something like um, singlehood as this disease. And it is interesting to me how much we are missing right. this generation. We're right. losing, if I dare say, mm-hmm. parts of this generation because for this theological reason. And so my challenge or uh, what I hope I could be of help of to young pastors, young ministers, and, and churches out there is that we reclaim the value of singlehood so that we don't, you know, boot our young adults either to cohabitate mm-hmm. or to say, well, I, I got to do something because I can't be alone because mm-hmm. I don't fit in, in my church or in my social yeah. group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that we... Uh, bring in our, our youth into the body of Christ. Right. One of the cool things we did at my church uh, when I was there is we would bring in the high schoolers once a month and have them lead the service. Yeah. So they would be the ushers. They would, they would be the band, uh, the worship band. Um, and usually like I would preach that day. Mm-hmm. And it, it was a way to validate and ratify the family covenant that says young, old, single, or married, this is where you belong. Yeah, of course. I think something like that is a more realistic alternative and a more substantive way of viewing um, the whole person and viewing singlehood rather than saying, well, you got to get married yeah. if you're burning or don't. And, and like, you know, don't fit anywhere else in church. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because so frequently, right, we kind of tend to leave people out to pasture yeah. who are single. Yeah. Uh, and like a singles ministry always just has a propensity to turn into like a mixer, right? It's right. just like a weird, like, <laughs> you know, you're kind of perusing the room to see who your next spouse could be so you guys could both get out of that awkward experience together. Right. And, and so we have, uh, not, I mean, not on purposely, right, as the church, or not on purpose as the church, but uh, accidentally, I think we have kind of abandoned okay. the idea of understanding, like, the value of singleness yeah. is your ability to answer the Lord's call to do anything, anywhere, mm. anytime. Right. right. Like, there's value in that. To be like Paul. To be like Jesus, by the way, both of whom were single. Like, we tend to denigrate that idea. Implicitly, you know? yeah. yes. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Like, and, and that's what makes people leave the church right. there. And so they just kind of like, well, okay, see you later. Right. And it's like, you turn to plenty of fish or Christian mingle right. or whatever. Like, you're trying, yes, to, trying to find yes. somebody to try and yeah. uh, soothe that ache that the church community, community is accidentally creating. Correct. But should actually be responsible for that, soothing. That's exactly right. right. And so I hope this this challenge can be taken the right way. Yeah, for because sure. Because we are part of that and our desire is to contribute to that, right? Yeah, yeah, Not yeah. to just point the finger. No, of course. Uh, but in the real, very real social conversation of the younger generations who uh, find perhaps a romantic partner say, well, what should we do with it? Um, our hope would be that the picture of marriage isn't one that is exclusively tied to negative images yeah. or that is exclusively tied to pragmatic reasons for, right. well, that's what you, that's the context in which you got to have sex. So if you want it, you got to do that. 
but can be fully celebrated as it embraces both young, old, and, and, and singles in the church. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that's what I got for that. Yeah, it's good. Um, I hope that this was helpful for you guys. Uh, I'm very, very passionate about this topic, as you might be able to tell. Yeah. Um, leave us a comment. We actually really want to hear from you guys. What's your, been your experience with this? How do you think that church leaders can do a better job of listening to some of these things? And did we miss anything about cohabitation and some of its limitations that we saw? Uh, we're super excited to hear from you guys. Thanks for tuning in. We will see you next time on Kingdom Thinking.